Okay, everyone, good evening. Thursday night chill, which I usually start at 8.30, or should start at 8.30, but I need to do a pick, uh, an airport pickup today. So I'm going to do a very, first of all, a very quick share. Hopefully not going to be lacking anything, but condensed. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh, so it's a very special night, and it's a big Yom Tif, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, the day the Rebbe returned back healthy again in um, 1977 after his heart attack. 44 years ago, Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So I'm going to teach a minor from the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself. Uh, usually, Thursday night, we usually learn from the earlier uh, um, Rabbeim. And this one is one that he said right before, which is uh, before Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Or he said, Erev Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Okay, it's, this one is from the year, the, this course itself was said in Tashem Lamed Aleph, that's before the heart, heart attack in um, 19... Uh, in 1970. Here we go. Um, so it's printed in the Teres Menachem, Seif Memorem, on page Shin Mem Gimel. So he speaks about the dynamics of, he's going to get into the Parsha as well, Parsha's told those. He's going to talk a little bit about the blessings that Yitzchak blessed um, Yaakov. The great blessing, we know there was a great contest, Yaakov and Esau, and so on and so forth. So let's read. I'm going, to, I'm going to be moving fast today, so I hope you uh, can keep keep up with me, but hopefully I'm going to give enough explanation. So the Haftorah that we read, this year we're not going to do it because it's Rosh Chodesh t- tonight, but when Rosh Chodesh comes out on a Sunday, we read a special Haftorah, in which it talks about, since it's the day before Rosh Chodesh, on Shabbos we read the special portion of Navi, where it says that Yonasan, who is the king of, Sh- of Shaul, of Saul, says to David HaMelech, King David, that, t- that tomorrow you're not going to show up to the to the feast. Uh, every Rosh Chodesh, um, Shaul HaMelech made a, a special feast, and everybody, the royal family was invited, and David was a son-in-law, so he was also invited. But we know there was a lot of tension between between Shaul HaMelech and David. So Shaul says to David that tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh, uh, so to Yonasan, the son of Shaul, um, tells David that tomorrow will be Rosh Chodesh. You don't come, and then we'll get to see how our, my father will react, because you'll be the subject of the discussion. Since you're not there, you'll be mentioned. So that's what he says. Tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh, and if Kadeta, you're going to be remembered. Your seat will be vacant. So what is the meaning of that spiritually? That teaches you that vacancy causes remembrance. And that's a deep concept in addition to um, um, the simple meaning that King David was vacant, that he wasn't there, didn't show up. But in, sp- in a person's spirituality, spiritual life, that when we reach a state of vacancy and emptiness, which can, some, which can mean that you, you, you're, 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 you transcend your own, your own selfishness and your own beingness, and then you, you get out of yourself a little bit. So when we, especially, we talk about getting out of ourselves toward, towards something bigger than ourselves, towards something holier than ourselves. Um, when the recipient is surrenders themselves and reaches a point of nullification, that's what it means, vacant. Um, that causes the remembrance above. So, for instance, many times we, we, we're all obsessed with our own self. We can be obsessed with our own material goods, with our own material obsessions, feeling good, having a nice time, enjoying ourselves. We can be even obsessed with our spiritual... We can even be obsessed with our spiritual well-being. For instance, um, you know, obsessed with our own learning, with our own, with our own refinement, with our own thing. But sometimes there is a need in which someone else needs help, and it's going to cost us from our own taking care of our own self, even spiritually. We can help other people. We can take care of others. There is a there is a calling. And, and and but but that's going to cause us to, to need to compromise in our own time and our own development of self. Even the question is, am I going to be busy with me, or am I going to surrender myself to what God wants me to do, even if it causes me temporarily to let go of my own achievements or my own accomplishments and my own refinement or whatever it is, and let me care about others. So that's the concept of bittel. Bittel means you give yourself over to something else, and when you something bigger than yourself. And when we surrender to our to Hashem our own self and our own self-interest, then we cause Hashem to remember us. And as we draw down God's attention in a very special way. 
This causes the remembrance above. And we see that in the concept of tomorrow being Rosh Chodesh. When did he say this to him? Yonasan says to show tomorrow you'll be vacant. So we know that King David is, is associated with the moon. That's why we make, um, when we do, when we sanctify the moon once a month, we go out and we make a special blessing. We sing David Melech Yisrael Chai Vakayak. Because David is the attribute of kingship, which is also the moon. And we know the moon is a recipient. It's a recipient of the light of the sun. The sun, the, the moon and the sun are husband and wife. So the, the, the sun shines the light of the moon. The moon is the recipient. So what happens on the, during the month? You have the, the moon. The moon, is, the moon is present. The moon has a, a noticeable existence. But then it comes at the end of the Hebrew month, when the moon, the end of the lunar month, when the, the moon disappears. And it's precisely then, after it disappears completely from the sky, she comes back again. But when she comes back, she comes back better and stronger than she was. It's a new moon. And even though earlier she was declining and declining and declining and getting weaker and weaker and weaker, suddenly she's growing and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. What did it take to flip the moon over from getting smaller and weaker to becoming more powerful and bigger and stronger? It's the nullification where she reached complete non-beingness. It's that point of nothingness that enables almost like a seed you put in the ground. When can the seed grow into an entire tree? When the seed relinquishes itself completely, when it becomes not, that's when it can, it's precisely then when it, it can receive the great light. And that's what he's saying. So when the moon disappears completely on the, the eve of Rosh Chodesh, actually, the Kodetod is not even left, even a tiny dot. There's nothing in the sky. It fades away completely. So the next day becomes Chodesh, becomes a new moon. It means a new moon. Now what does a new moon mean? The sun remembered the moon. I mean, obviously this is all metaphorically speaking, that, this, that, what it, that the, 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 the new moon means, that it's not a new moon, it's the same moon that was there before, but it means the moon is now reflecting the light of the sun all over again, which means there is a new attention from the sun to the moon. So in the case that the sun is referring to God and we are the moon, so when we sometimes, you know, we, 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 as we spoke earlier, be into ourselves, even in a good way, into ourselves. But when we reach a, we transcend ourselves, which is the idea of the Erev when we move to a place of non-beingness, precisely at that moment that God shines new light upon us with whole new potential. It, it in order to become something much bigger than ourselves, it takes first being not which is the idea of the unification of the sun and the moon. And what does it mean in service? This idea that we spoke about. Through the nullification of the recipient. That creates something new. So the idea of having a new moon, simply the way we look at it scientifically, just from an earthly perspective, there's nothing really new. It has to do with the with the with the, with the position of the of these of these um, celestial uh, entities that are up there in the skies, bodies. And so it's the same light as last month. It's just now, it's, to us, it looks like a new light. But spiritually, it really is a new light. Every month, God is shining upon the world a whole new energy, a whole new potential. We are reborn every month again with new light. So to get new light, you have to first come into a state of not. That means as long as we're holding on to our previous existence, and we, uh, even if we can expand and grow and develop ourselves more and more and more, it's not a quantum leap. It's always connected to who we were before. Sometimes you meet someone and they're a whole new person. You can't believe what happened to them. How in the world did they go from being like this to become complete, totally metamorphosized, a whole new entity? They've reached such incredible heights or such incredible accomplishments. So you'll know that in all those cases, there always has to be a, a great, they'll always tell you a story that in between where they were to where they've gotten, they hit rock bottom. It was a moment of completely, or else it's relative. Without a rock bottom, it's a very, very important idea. And it's very, very inspirational to know that because sometimes we struggle in this darkness and we wonder why. And when God takes us through a darkness, it's because he wants to recreate us on a whole new level. In a Pradesh, in a so in order that there should be something new. Now, in order for, for a new, a whole renewal, something totally out of the picture to happen, something completely new, we have to draw down from a place that's higher than what is causing things to be the way they are. In other words, what's the old? The old is the way things are, the system as the system is. So in order to create real news, 
to have a real newness in our existence or in the world around us, whether it's in the cosmic, in the cosmos, whether it's in our own individual lives, to have something totally new means to bring in something that's from beyond the system. That's what he says. In order to create a new, you have to tr climb up above the system. We looked about this last night in my class called Holy Teachings. We spoke about the number of 515, which is the number transcending this, the 14 levels of 500, which are the setup of creation. You go above that 15 times, the idea 15 times 500, transcending there to bring down something new, like in our case, uh, you know, for Rebecca to have a child when according to the system, she couldn't have a child. So in order to bring down from this new, higher Keter light, infinite light, that's the idea Keser. It's, it's above the system. That's the idea. We have to draw down from above the whole order. Now, when are we really going to receive new light? He's going to explain that every month we have a little, a little, a little um, preview of these new bursts of light that are coming, that are like totally new. But really, the real newness, there's nothing new under the sun until Mashiach comes. Until Mashiach comes, everything is just... All development is all, it's not new. It's all taking what was and what was created on the first day in terms of potential that was there and just actualizing potential. It's nothing really new in, in creation. When Mashiach comes, God is going to imbue new light and new energy. That's why it says it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Totally new. There's going to be a real newness because that's when, when the days of Mashiach is when we're going to really tap the energy is going to flow from a place that's utterly above the system. That means, as explained in Kabbalah, that in all the amazing in, uh, moments in all of history where there was incredible infusions of miracles and lights and even the going out of Egypt and even the giving of the Torah and all those things, giving of the, the holy and the temple, the building of the temple, all these magnificent things are still related to the external element of the crown. But it's not the internal, it's the idea of the Arizal says, it's the external element of the crown, not Pneumius Atik, it's not the inner core of the crown. Only when Mashiach comes will there be revealed the essence of the crown. Pneumius Atik, which means new light. So the real idea of newness is only going to happen at the time of the coming of Mashiach, it'll be a new world. But um, since everything that happens then is connected to somewhat to what we do today, so in our service, there has to be some kind of a, uh, you know, I don't want to call it an imitation or some kind of a reflection of this newness. And that's what Rosh Chodesh is. The power of Rosh Chodesh, such a powerful moment, Rosh Chodesh, because the newness of the new moon is in some distant way a little glimmer and a little flash of the, of, and it's connected to Messianic light, the new light that's going to come upon the world in the grandiose way when Mashiach comes. When, like it's going to be in the future when the creation is going to be all new. Why will it be that way? The, the flow of energy will come. It's going to be coming from the innermost of the crown. Atik means the ancient of days. So from the inner element of the ancient of days. Because he explains, all that we can pump now, all that we can bring down now, through all the mitzvot and all the good that we do in which we download and generate and, and increase godly light, godly flow into the world. According to the, the Arizal, according to the mystics, it's only from the external element of the craft. That means it's a potential that it was always there because from the external part of the crown, really, even though we said before crown represents above the whole system, the external part of the crown has somewhat of a connection to the system. So in a very benign, 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 beginning of a beginning, anything that's related to the external level of the crown is already, is not really considered new because it's part of the potential of creation. The real newness is when God is investing from beyond, from his very self, outside of what he had initially allocated, even as potential for creation. And that's called the inner element of the crown. So now it's only from Chitzanius Atik. In the future, Yenem Shachmah Atik Mamish will come from the innermost of Atik, literally. Now, now, what does it have to do with Rosh Chodesh? So he explains, all the revelations that are going to happen in the days of Mashiach, are all dependent, are dependent that our work during the time of exile. And therefore, and therefore, when we have a new moon in Rosh Chodesh, which represents the idea of newness, 
so it's a, a little glimmer of that newness of the future. Since everything then is dependent on now, we have to have that idea of something new already now. That's why we say when we do Kiddush Lohana, we say, you know, the moon, about the moon, we say, this is a remembrance to us that we are going to be renewed in the future like the moon. That means that the renewal of the moon is somewhat a reminder or a, 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 um, a, a, a reflection of the future light in which is going to be the real and complete renewal. And this idea that there is a there is a, a, a an event that's in the future, which is only possible in the future. Yet we have little tidbits of it already now. And the Medrash draws a very interesting parallel that when we wake up in the morning, we say Modani, and we acknowledge and we thank God, and we say Rabba Munasecha, great is your faith. So according to the Medrash, that idea of Rabba and Munasecha, great is your faith, is our faith. What faith are we talking about? Is it's Rabbah great, it's your faithfulness. But what's the faithfulness in what? It's that we every morning get to experience the idea that God, life is eternal. Because you can wake up in the morning and look at life and see how your life is fleeting by, You're getting older. Every day is, an, is, a, is another is a day. Someone, if one person wants to live in more in morbidity and sadness, a person can look at every day as them getting closer to the grave. And then like closer to your expiration date, which is a scary thought. And that can be very, you know, demoralizing and depressing. So um, in order that you should be able to embrace the day with energy and light, you think to yourself, no, life on earth is, doesn't expire. It's actually eternal. There's a temporary break. Death is a temporary break, but then we'll all come back. And that's the idea of the resurrection. Chiyasam is a resurrection where we're all coming back into this world. So how do we see and how can we really connect to this resurrection that's going to happen like it's so foreign what do you mean dead people come back alive like who can believe that it's so it's so outside of our idea when we witness it every morning we're almost we're, we have a little bit of death it says that sleep is a 60th of death and yet we wake up and we're fresh and we're new we're ready to take on a new day from here we and from here we can derive that there's going to be the resurrection so what we see from here we're, we're we are experiencing in the current a little flash of an event of the future. So the sim, just like it is regarding Tetchiyas HaMesim, so it also with the renewal of the moon, the new renewal of the new month, that's related to the general new light that's going to come into the world of Mashiach Kats. What it says The newness of every morning. Great is your faith. The Medrash says, this that a person is renewed every morning as if you're a new creation. That is great, your, your faithfulness. This is a little dogma, uh, this is a little comparison, it's a little similar to to the resurrection. That God is going to alive in the person with the special dew of resurrection. However, the main renewal, the main newness is going to be in the future. And even though we have little bursts of newness today, what we might consider that we can accomplish today to bring something new into the world, um, it's only relative. It's not the real newness. As he explains in the Kutit Torah, that what's the main idea that when Mashiach will come, there will be newness in the world, new, new light, something new. They will be introduced into the cosmos, new souls. The most precious commodity in the world is souls. Souls are the deepest, highest entity. Right? Not the physical creations, but the souls. The souls are the super, super energy, energy forces, transmissions of God to the world more than anything else. So it's so amazing to bring a new child into the world. Yet we know that the souls that come in now are not considered new souls for a few reasons. Number one, they could be recycled. As we know, we're here in many incarnations, so it's not really new. You know, you know, what goes around comes around. You know, the soul, the soul could have been around the block already 10 times. And that's most people. We've been around, around. It's not a new soul. New souls. It's rare when you get a new soul. But even the new souls that come are not considered really new souls because they're all part of Adam's soul. Adam was once here. So everybody, even if you didn't come down in your own life to as an individual life, you were once part of Adam when Adam was here. So real, real new souls are not going to happen until after Mashiach comes because then souls that were not part of Adam, of Adam and Eve, are going to reveal themselves. That means more than, I mean, souls that were never in the potential. 
God is going to reinvest in creation. Charles, you know, there's going to be new souls. Even though, but the idea that we're saying earlier, that now we also have similar, yeah, but only similar. Shekam, actually, even now, now we also have new souls. It's not the real, real newness. And the real newness is going to be in the future. This idea that it says that tzaddikim are going to be sitting in the days of Mashiach and they're going to have crowns on their heads. It's explained in Chasidus and Makuti Torah, Parshat Tzav, where the altar explains that the crowns on the head means Hashem is going to crown us with new souls and those souls are going to empower our souls to spiritual capacity infinitely beyond where we are now. But not, notwithstanding the idea that the real chidush, the real newness is only going to be in the future. We have a little similar, we have a little reflection of that now, a little, or rather, let's say a little pre- preview of that. When Rosh Chodesh, that's why it's refreshing Rosh Chodesh. Because now as well, through our and we said, but what is it dependent on? In order to get a new light, you have to first become not. not. So um, through the pain and, and, and darkness and suffering that happens, uh, suffering, I mean to say, the, 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 sometimes a person feels, you know, you don't feel good about yourself. You're, 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 you're all broken and so on and so forth. And, and, and we have to always realize that all those, those, those experiences are, 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 could be, no, could be they are um, for much higher than what we think they are because they create the, they create the disintegration of our ego and of self, and then we become vessels, and then we can draw down new light. We reach the level of Aden. Aden is the, the, the new lights that are going to come on Mashiach is the revelation of Aden. That means the energy flow that's flowing into creation from day one of creation until until um, until today, until Mashiach, is all coming from the river that goes out of Aden. But not, not Aden itself. Aden is, is hidden, and Aden will only be revealed when Mashiach comes. That's Eden. I don't say Eden, but Eden as a spiritual source. It's the inner, inner, innermost of the divine. And that's going to be revealed only when Mashiach is called Aden. That's called New. That's where the sages say, when the prophets were prophesizing about the future and they said amazing things, those that was that was all what they were able to perceive. That's not Aden yet. That's the revelations of the river. On the highest level, the river on the highest level, the river flowing from Aden, it's going to manifest on the highest level. The river is going to be pumping like crazy in the days of Mashiach. But when we're saying the real newness happens after Mashiach comes, a little later in the time of the resurrection, that's but in the future world, no one has seen that. No, no prophet has seen that. That's the Aden itself. Okay. But now he's asking, we need to understand. If what is going to be revealed is Aden, which is so high, why does the verse say this idea? This verse is in Isaiah, Yeshaya. Samach Dalet, 64, verse number three. It says, No eye has beholded it. Elohim Besides God yourself. God is the only one who knows that level. The question he's asking over here, why does he say Elohim? Elohim we know is the name of God as God is already contracted. So if we're talking about such an inner high level, it should have been a, a higher name of God, which is the name of Yud Vavke, the Tetragrammat. We're talking about the innermost revelation. It is the innermost revelation. It should have said, no eye has, has seen it. Havaya Yud Vavke, the Tetragrammat, other than God himself, which is Havaya. That's his more essential name than Elohim is the name more of an external name. That's his question. Why is something so high associated with the name of Elohim? And here is where he connects it to the Parsha. Because we need to understand that our Torah portion, Parsha's told us. Because it says over here, we have this amazing story of Isaac, Yitzchak giving blessings. And when he opens up his blessings to Yaakov, he finally, we finally get to the amazing blessings. And we know that these blessings are the highest blessings because that's why it took so much effort to get them. It had to come through trickery and deception. It couldn't come directly. The Torah makes such a drama out of these blessings because they're the most powerful blessings. They're more powerful than Moses' blessing, Moshe's blessings, more powerful than Jacob's blessings, Yaakov's blessings. The highest blessings are Isaac's blessings. But why does he open it up? He says, God should give you, but he uses the term, Elohim. 
should give you from the fats of heaven and from the from the uh, dew of heaven and from the fats of the earth. A lot of grain and wine. In many places, they ask the question. Also, in the famous um, discourse from the year 57, 56. Um, 56 oh, 566 566 566 and compassion and elokim is judgment we're talking about blessings so when you when you're bringing it on a blessing you're bringing it from a flow of kindness from a flow of revelation so why are you evoking the the when if, if you want to punish someone you're using the name of elokim you want to bless someone the big blessing should be from yudke vavke we're talking about the blessings of isaac Yitzchak. these are the highest blessings as it's explained in the in the in the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe, in the end of the of the portal of, of, of Shofar, where there he explains the uniqueness of the blessings of Isaac. The It's also not understood. Now the Medrash Rabbah states, Medrash states that when it says God should give you from the dew of the heaven and from the fat of the earth, it means aside from a lot of good. A good life with all the material blessings, bountiful blessings in the material, which have to do with the dew of the heaven, which helps the moisture and everything grow, and the fat of the earth. We understand, but in addition to that, it's also alluding to the 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 mishmane arts, the fat of the earth. That's Mishnah, that's the oral law, because that's produced by us. The sages are the ones who teach the Mishnah, Torah Shmopeh, and that's why it's called the fat of the earth. It comes from us. And Dagon Zu Talmud, and then when it says, uh, sorry, Mishmetala Shemayim, I forgot. I mean, from the dew of the heaven is referring to Hashem shall bless you with Chumish, with Mikra, with the scripture. Mishmane Ar is the fat of the earth, then the Mishnah, it's Mishnah. Dagon, then it says, Roiv Dagon, a lot of grain. Zet Talmud, that's you should be blessed. So he's blessing Jacob, Yaakov, he's blessing him with Torah, that he should be blessed to be able to study Torah. We need to understand. What's the idea that he blessed him with? So now he's going to take a little break in the discourse and analyze something else, a new idea. It says over here that Yitzchak is now blessing Yaakov. He's blessing him with Torah. He's going to ask a simple question. What kind of blessing is this? It, it, it would seem to imply that if Yitzchak not blessed Yaakov with the Torah, then Yaakov would not have received the Torah. He says it's impossible. The Torah was destined to come to the world no matter what, God created the world for the sake of the Torah. It had to come. Who was going to go to? Who was going to receive? Of course, it was going to be Yaakov. It was going to be the Jewish people. <laughs> Hashem chose Avram. The whole story is all that is beginning of the path to Yaakov, to the Jewish people that were going to receive the Torah. So what's the what's the whole discussion over here? Uh, that he blesses him as he's giving him something, a gift that he never had. You're know, buying you a new thing that you would have not got. What do you mean? I, I, I'm gifting you with a new thing that you wouldn't have had. It was always destined to come to the world and to the Jewish people. It would have been received, it would have been given to the Jewish people no matter either way. By the giving of the Torah. The whole coming about, the whole intention of creating the world was for the sake of the Torah. And on the first, very first verse of the Torah, the beginning, God, when God created, so the sages say you have to read Bereshis, not in the beginning, but for two things that are called beginning, God created. The reason he created is Yisrael for the sake of Israel. The Jewish people are called Reishis. And for the sake of the Torah, that's called Reishis. So you see from here that the Torah has been etched and it's part of the planning of creation. And so much as the Torah, part of the, the story, part of the intention of creating the world, that God initially created the world with the thought of giving the Torah and for the sake of the Torah. But even more than that, he actually made it, made the world um, 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 dependent on the Torah, that if if it would, God forbid, happen, because God doesn't take away free choice, if the Jews would have made a terrible choice 
and said no to God when he offered them the Torah, then God would have restored the world to nothingness. That's what it says. God made a condition with the world that your your you are your existence is dependent on giving of the Torah. In a manner of a, a condition, in a manner that he, that he made a condition, which if the condition is not met, it's nullified to begin with. That's how much the world and the Torah go together. That the, that, 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 that the, the Torah is the condition of the world. The Torah upholds the world. This says, says it was evening and day. The sixth day, there's an extra hay over here. I should have said yom shishi, yom hashishi. So it's saying it's it's not referring to Friday of creation. It's referring to the sixth day. Shishi is the sixth day of the month of Sivan when God is giving the Torah. Tonight is not the day that the Abish made it tonight. God made a, a condition with the world in Yekami Yisrael Tzedas if the Jewish people receive the Torah. That's why it says also another verse that the world trembled. It's a verse in Tehillim. In Psalms, it says that the earth trembled and then it calmed down. So the sages asked the question, why was the earth, what does it mean it trembled and it calmed down? It says for 2,000, for over 2,000 years, the world was trembling, 2,448 years, because it didn't know if it's going to, if, 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 if it was on, it was, it was, uh, it was suspended. It was like, it was on, it was, you know, you weren't sure it was going to continue. When, when God gave the Torah, the world breathed a sigh of relief. Then it calmed down. The Torah had to be given. And who was it going to be given to? To who? To Esau. To who was it going to be given to? Of course it was going to be given to Yaakov. So what is he giving him now, this great gift? How could there be a blessing on this? That he's giving him a blessing. Either way you're looking at it, it's a problem. He's not going to present two possibilities. One possibility is that he's blessing him to be a Yaakov um, with the, when he says he blessed him with Torah, his son Yaakov, that Yaakov should learn Torah. If he means, and we know Torah, there's two levels of Torah. The Torah that we have, that the, our forefathers studied before the giving of the Torah, before Sinai, and then there was after Sinai. And it's a major difference. And we're not going to go into it right now. But the Torah that we, we study after Sinai is much deeper and much higher than what was studied before. It's much godlier, as we discussed so many times. So now the question is, when Isaac is blessing Jacob, which is before the giving of the Torah, with Torah, was he intending to bless him with the Torah from before Torah or before the before Sinai or after Sinai? And he says, in each, in each one of these options, it's problematic. The Mamanashim. If he's blessing him to be able to study Torah, but in a manner that it was before Sinai, which would make sense because Yaakov is before Sinai, before Har Sinai. Does he need a blessing? They had already. Yitzchak himself was studying Torah, and his father Abraham, Avram, was also studying Torah. So, like, like grandfather, like father, like son, they're all learning. So, why does he need a special blessing for this? As if he's getting something new that he didn't have. Today, say on the verse that it says Avram was Zakin. Old doesn't mean old, but also means a person who's a sage. Avram was a sage. Avram Avinu Zakin Yeshiva. He was studying in Yeshiva. Yaakov Avinu Zakin Yeshiva. Yaakov was studying Yeshiva. So now they had either way. If you're going to then say, no, he blessed them to be able to study Torah like it's going to be after the giving of the Torah. But we can't say that. That, it's, that he's blessing with the power of those qualities of Torah that only happened post-Sinai, well, from the very idea that we say that it only happened post-Sinai, is a sign that Yaakov, who was pre-Sinai, didn't have it, even after the blessing. The Torah of the Avos, which in this is included Yaakov also, it was all considered a fragrance, compared to the Torah that's after the Torah, which is considered the essence. The giving of the Torah after Torah is considered the essence, and the Torah that they learned earlier is considered a fragrance of it. So that and that includes even Yaakov. So that special quality Yitzchak didn't have within his capacity of his blessing to give him. So what did he give him? The regular Torah, the pre-Torah, the pre-Sinai Torah, he had already. The, 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 the post-Sinai Torah, he's not giving it. He can't be given because that only happens later. So what is he giving him in his blessing? And the and he gave a very simple answer, a very logical answer. Well, he's blessing Jacob, but that's not his intention. He's blessing 
his intention is to bless Esau. Since his intention is to bless Esau, Esau was not meant to get the Torah. So, of course, Yitzhak knows that, that Esau, that, that Yaakov is going to get the Torah. But he wants to give Esau also a piece of the Torah. Why? Because he feels that Esau needs it, you know, to maybe to rehabilitate himself, to make a mensch out of himself. He's a total mess. So in order to be able to fix himself, the Torah is very powerful. So he figures he gives Esau the Torah. And that is a great gift because Esau wasn't meant to get it. So that might be the answer. But he says he can't say so. Well, look, I don't actually the tires. You can answer. That this was the, the, the way Yitzhak was thinking. He wanted to bless Esau. That's why he blends it with Torah. If he gives him the Torah, then Esau will be able to fix himself up. He'll be able to make himself into a mensch. There's no question. You, you can bless him with the Torah because even though the Torah is meant to come to the world, it was meant to come to the Jewish people, not to Esau. The Torah is only for the Jewish people. So this would be a good answer. In the end, it's not understood. This is a good explanation for the psych psychological explanation of what's going on in Yitzchak's mind. But if this is the case, then this entire blessing was totally uh, futile or unnecessary. Yaakov makes such a great deal to go grab these blessings, risks his life, literally. He was afraid to turn the father with curse him. And he goes and he, he gets busted. And he goes and he pretends he's Esau and he goes and he tricks him in order to get these awesome blessings. And what is he getting? Something that he has already. <laughs> Doesn't need it. So therefore, you can't say so. In the end, it was given to Yaakov. He took his blessing. We make such a big deal that he got those blessings, which is something that he had already. What's the blessing? And it's such an amazing answer. And this has to do with the whole idea of tomorrow's Chodesh. The idea is as follows. The Torah, as it was given by the giving of the Torah, is the Torah as it stands on its own. But the blessing of Yitzchak is giving Yaakov an incredible power. He's empowering him to be able to squeeze out of the Torah new ideas that were not there before. What he's, what he's blessing him in is he's giving him the empowerment to toil in the Torah. So there's amazing ways of studying. You know, we can study, and there's so much in Torah. You can take books and you can learn. And you can read, and, and, and by reading, you extract information. You study, you learn, you extract information. And naturally, our inclination is to study light. No one likes to work too hard, so you work, and, and, and you gain insight and understanding. But the real, real way of studying Torah is to toil and think and think and break your head. And then you come out with such a deep understanding, and then you innovate new ideas. You bring forth incredible new light. That's called the, the toiling in Torah. And that's what, up until this time, Yaakov did not study Torah that way. Not Yaakov, not Avram, not Isaac. They didn't have that, that ability. And this was the blessing that he gave, the blessing to toil. What's the greatness of toiling? When you toil, you uncover, you come to, toiling brings you to a place of nothingness. That's the idea. Toiling is easy. You break, you break, you break until you reach a point where you're so frustrated. You think you're just you know, like you're, 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 you're pained by it. It's like the disintegration of the seed. In that nothingness, you, the, the, what you're opening up to is such boundlessness, such incredible in light that, that, that you were never a vessel to it before. It's from a whole new level. The same idea that we spoke about earlier, new light, new revelation. That the, 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 it says in the Pasuk that the great reward that's going to come in the future, it says God will give it to those that are hoping for him. The Zohar says that it doesn't mean just hoping for, for salvation, hoping for Mashiach. It means the people that toil in Torah, deeply in Torah, Isa Bizarre desire says, in the Dakin, the Miladhuchmasa. These who squeeze ideas of Torah, of Chachma, of wisdom, but they don't take things externally on face value. They're not lazy. They take a, a, any concept of Torah, any and, and study it by deeply, deeply, deeply analyzing and meditating in it stronger and probing it and probing it to its depth. And just like it is in the physical, 
in our, in our psychological experience that whenever you toil on something, you really get to understand it on a whole new level. The same is also in the spiritual light that's in the Torah, the godly light that's in the Torah, that by, 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 by drilling, taking a heavy drill and drilling deep, 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 deep into the Torah, we uncover new, new powerful veins of, uh, of the earth, new, new water, new, new light, new, uh, a whole new source that was never revealed before. I told him it's about, and he explains how it is spiritually. The Torah as it stands on its own, the Torah as it flows naturally is from God's wisdom. And if we're not, and obviously even to apprehend God's wisdom through study of Torah requires, of course, great devotion of the mind. But we're talking beyond that. We're talking about literally reaching superhuman levels. So what he's saying is when we do that, we reach beyond God's mind even. That's the idea. We introduce from, from the essence of God, which is higher than even the mind of God. If you trace the Torah really back to its origins of origins, it's a level of potential wisdom, but it's still wisdom. It's the potential wisdom in God. Obviously, we're talking about potential. It's so high, but yet it's still wisdom. But when one toils and toils and breaks himself her, or herself completely in trying to understand then you go deeper than the even the potential of wisdom in God into the divine essence and reveal new light. And through the toil we reach Eden. No eye has ever seen it. It's completely transcending Now we'll understand. So obviously that is something that Yaakov didn't have. So Yitzchak is empowering him with that ability to toil in Torah and reach, reach the Torah as it is, in, as, as, even deeper than what the Torah is in God, even higher than that to uncover and draw down new light. But this will also, so that's, that, that is something new that Yaakov didn't have. So this will go back to what we were talking about in the beginning. We're talking about when Mashiach will come, there'll be a revelation of a new light and there will be Right, and every Rosh Chodesh, there's a little bit of that flash of that newness. What triggered that? How do we get to that? Well, we said earlier, Erev Rosh Chodesh, you have to come to disintegration. So, how, how does one disintegrate? Sometimes it has to do with going through hard times and difficulties in life and that crush us and so on. Sometimes it has to do by us devoting ourselves beyond our powers towards goodness. As we spoke earlier, getting out of ourselves to do help others, even if it's compromising on ourselves. But at other times, it's simply, it's simply um, pushing ourselves in Torah study to the point that we're exhausted beyond exhaustion. And we, and we go deeper and deeper. And through toil in Torah, is through that we uncover, we bring that new light that's going to be revealed on Mashiach comes. So now we'll also understand another idea that when Yitzchak wanted to give this blessing to Esau. Now, generally, we know that Esau was in a very messed up state. And Esau is the klipa. He represents the unholy. And what kind of unholiness is compared to the pig? And we know that within the unholy, there's two levels. There is the ordinary klipa called klipas noga, which is a a mixture of good and bad, but it's a type of klipa that is fixable, it's repairable. And there's a dark, dark klipa, which all non-kosher animals derive their energy from that place. Um, it's called three, the three impure klipa, and from that place it is irreparable. You can't fix it, you can't rectify it. The Torah doesn't allow, that's why you can't eat pig or, or other non-kosher things and then say, I'm going to rectify it, I'm going to use the energy in a good way. Can't do it. Why can't you do it? And here, when Yitzhak wants to bless Yaakov, doesn't Yitzhak know this? So how can Yitzhak want to bless Esau and give him power to repair himself by giving him the Torah, which the Torah, from the Torah itself, the Torah doesn't allow for the repair of the pig. Or else the Torah would allow you to make a barbecue with a pig. Use a pig on a barbecue and, and eat it and use the energy for good. From this, the Torah doesn't allow you to do it. That means that Esau, whose embodiment of the pig, who is not repairable. So what is Yitzchak giving him the Torah to fix him? The Torah doesn't leave room for fixing. The answer is, depends which Torah. The Torah, as it is the divine wisdom, has limits. 
and it can only repair certain things. And certain things, it says it's outside of the limit of, of, of repairing. You have to leave it, you have to let go of it. But when you tool in Torah, you uncover the essence. On that level, everything could be repaired. From that level of depth, there's no such a thing of, of a limitation. And then you can repair even Esau. And now we'll understand, since the blessing that Yitzhak was blessing Yaakov, which he thought was Esau, wasn't with Torah, but with, with, with going even beyond potential of Torah. Reach, toiling in Torah, which opens up the Torah level so deep, on that level, Esau can also receive it, and Esau can use it to fix himself, because even Esau could be repaired. That's so awesome. Through this, that Yitzchak blessed Yaakov with the toil of Torah, and the truth is, not just that he wanted to give it to Esau to fix himself, in the end, who did he give it to? He gave it to Yaakov, and when he gave it to Yaakov, did Yitzchak's intention to fix Esav um, fall to the side? Okay, it didn't work. He wanted to fix Esav, then he gave it to Yaakov. So let Esav not be fixed. I don't know. When he gave the blessings to Yaakov, unbeknown to him, he's actually realizing what he desired. And what did he desire? He wanted to fix Esav. He's going to fix Esav. Because through Yaakov toiling in Torah, Yaakov is now empowered to fix even the pig, to fix, to fix even Esav. For him to, to rectify even Since through toiling in Torah we reach Eden, okay. That's why you can fix Not only the clip of you can even fix the sparks that are in the three impure clippers. explained elsewhere. The Yaakov says. You know, I lived with Lavan in a few, two weeks from now when he's, he's sending messengers to Esau, meaning he says, I'm ready to fix you, Esau, too. I kept the Torah and I'm ready. How is he ready to take on Esau? The answer is because he 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 toiled in Torah. That's when he completed fixing Lavan, which is the easier part of the world to fix. And he went to rectify even Esau. Yaakov was already ready for Mashiach and to fix Esau. And Yaakov was actually finished it. It's just only that Esau didn't wasn't 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 on the same page yet. And this is all through the powers of of, of toiling of Torah. It basically, teaches us an amazing thing: how powerful we become when we toil in Torah. How powerful, enormously powerful we become spiritually, because even things that are totally impossible before now we get that we're, it, it it becomes within range. Because we're tapping the very essence. This will also explain why it says the name of Elohim. So let's just literally, um, quickly, I'm going to read this very quickly. I want to finish the whole Torah. The Torah, as it was given, there was no forgetting. That the, the, the Ruchas were engraved. The sages say, That's why you didn't have to have toil. See, initially when the Torah was given to us, the first luchot, and he's going to explain that's the difference between the first luchot and the second luchot, first tablets and second tablets. First tablets, one didn't have to toil because you learned something and you got and once and you remembered it. And with having all the information, it was, you know, you basically knew the Torah. The toiling has to do now mainly because we forget and then we need to relearn and so on and so forth. But what was the work then? The only thing they needed to do is speak Torah. Moshe downloaded, he taught it to them, and then all they had to do was just speak it. And now he explains, why did they have to speak? When God spoke to Torah, he also did it in speech. I'm sorry, I'm not going to explain so well over here. It's a little uh, parenthetical, and I I, I I want to finish, and I have to leave literally in three minutes, so I'm just going to read quickly over here. It would have been enough in thought. In order to remember it, you have to speak it. That's only after the second Luchas, where there's a potential for forget. There's forgetfulness in the world. The reason why you had to have speech was not because you shouldn't forget, because before the Torah, the Torah was in its original form, there was no forgetting. Torah is compared to fire, that's why. And just like fire, 
when it's in a coal, it kind of gets quiet. And then when you need a fan, you need a blow on it and fire comes out. Same is true with Torah. Torah needs words. It's not enough to think Torah. Why isn't it enough Torah, just thinking Torah? You have to suppose that when you learn Torah, you're supposed to sing it and speak it because you need the ear or the mouth and that blows the fire, brings godliness into a revealed way in the world. Okay. Speech in Torah needs to reveal Torah down here in this world. It's what speech does. And even without, that was, that's the Torah that, he, that they studied before Yitzchak's blessing. Yitzhak's blessing, a whole new reality. He's blessing to toil in Torah. That enables a much higher rectification. We can fix even Esau. These are the sparks that are in the darkest element. That's what we read. That's when we can fix Esau as well. And that's why we mentioned the name of Elohim. This is the last point. There's two levels of Elohim. There's one level of Elohim. Elohim is the level of concealment, but there's two levels of concealment. There's a level of concealment that comes through a cover, a concealing cover. There's a level of concealment that comes, it's not a cover, it's a. It's concealed because it's too deep to be revealed. It's a concealment that's higher than light. It's essence. Essence is concealed. Since the whole blessings of Yitzchak was the revelation of essence, toiling so you can reach the essence, he doesn't use the name Yudke Vavke because the Yudke Vavke is the name of expression, revelation. He's using the name of Elokim, but over here Elokim is higher than Yudke Vavke. Elokim of the essence, the concealment of the essence. God should give you the ability to reach Elokim, the quintessential essence of Hashem, and from there draw the Torah from that place. This will also explain why when Mashiach comes, it says, The revelation that we're going to have when Mashiach comes, the new light comes from the most of the crown, is from the level of Elohim. No, I, only Elohim sees it because we're dealing with the essence. That's the gist of the mind, the incredible new light and revelation that we reach through toiling through this powerful um, um, breaking ourselves beyond ourselves.